Hello and welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you will find real Asian American conversations about all those topics you were a little too afraid to talk about with your Asian parents. I'm your host, Sasha Fu. And today we'll be discussing Asian Americans in the entertainment industry. And today we have a special guest, actor Archie Ko. Now, if you're familiar with Power Rangers or CSI, you probably know our guest, Archie Ko. He was a series regular on CSI in the role of Archie Johnson. He also played Detective Sheldon Jin on Chicago PD. And early in his career, Archie Ko scored the role of the Blue Power Ranger in the Power Ranger series Lost Galaxy series. Now, Archie's latest project is the movie Christmas at the Ranch. He's playing a cowboy in this film. This movie is an LGBT holiday-themed rom-com, and it's streaming right now on the network Tello. Welcome, Archie, or should I say howdy, partner. <laughs> Good morning, Sasha. Since you're playing a cowboy. Yeah, yeah. I know you're based in Los Angeles, but you grew up in the D.C., Washington, D.C. area. And just like me, you are a first-generation American-born person. Can you tell me a little bit about your family and uh, where they emigrated from? Uh, my mom was born in mainland China and then grew up in Taiwan. Um, and then my biological father and her actually met in the U.S., and so I didn't grow up. Uh, they split when I was really young, not even a year old yet. So uh, I actually I grew up. I, I <laughs> truth be told, I was actually taken in by a, a family um, in my when I was still very young, like and I wouldn't say newborn, but pretty much a toddler. By a my mom was so um, poor actually that she had to actually. Uh, have like a foster family take care of me for a little bit until she could get on her feet. So this family was uh, terrific, salt of the earth. They lived on a on a working farm in uh, northwestern Pennsylvania. So I grew up milking cows and you know feeding the chickens and cleaning pig pens and stuff like that for the first like five years of my life. So the ranch life is not uh, not unknown to you. You know all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, brought back some memories, yeah. So uh, spending those four years with this uh, Caucasian family in Western Pennsylvania, how did that affect your sense of identity as the son of two Asian people? You know, that's a really, um, it's really funny. I didn't, of course, when you're a little kid, you don't realize um, how well this is going. I grew up, um, I remember literally doing hay rides and, you know, you know, you know, carnivals and, and like tobogganing through the woods in the winter. And, um, I didn't know they had five kids of their own as well. And so I didn't even know I was Asian until I came until I started to grow up and went back to Virginia to be with my mom and uh, now stepfather. And then, you know, the kids will tell you that you're different, but growing up on this farm, we were like insulated and nobody, Nobody ever told me that I was Chinese. So it was really odd because I didn't feel different at all. I, I grew up thinking I was totally white. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, very interesting. I I, uh, I feel very grateful that they were such a wonderful family. They treated mm -hmm. me just like one of their own. Um, but because of that, I, I didn't have any bearing at all on being Asian until well into adulthood. You know, so... 
That's interesting because although you might have identified with this white culture, you speak, I understand, Mandarin, which is an amazing gift, an amazing ability. Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, I started because um, in my uh, let's see, this was right. At, I started being curious about it actually when I was still on CSI, and during that time, when you're when you're working on a network show, it's like you're um, in school. You know, you have summer holidays and you have the winter break, and it's kind of like that—the same sort of schedule almost, like three months off in the summer and a, you know, nearly a month off in the winter. During that time, I would go to um, I, I started doing commercials in in Asia, not just, uh, well, I started like doing them in Taiwan, Malaysia, uh, Indonesia. They sent me all throughout, except for one, in one day, one of the later ones was um, in Shanghai. And when I was sent to Shanghai, I was like, wow, this, it blew my mind. And then I, yeah, I had a bunch of friends that had already been over there and they were helping me kind of um, navigate the landscape. And it was like strange how, how it's really strange is having an epiphany in your adulthood that you're actually Chinese. And I had no connection to, I couldn't speak a word of it, not a word <laughs> of it. And so, you know, I, I felt kind of embarrassed about it actually. Like, why am I not? And so during my hiatuses from CSI, I thought I need to start coming over here and studying language. And that's, I didn't go over there to try to build a career. I actually went over there to try to learn my heritage. Wow. Because obviously by then I realized I was Asian, but I just didn't have any sort of emotional connection to, to it. And, you know, one of the best ways to connect to a culture is through the language and through the food. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. But that's quite a feat because to learn Mandarin as an adult, I mean, Mandarin is a difficult language because of all yeah. the characters and the different tones. And to do that as an adult is especially mm. impressive. So uh, kudos to you, Archie. Thank you. I was going to backtrack because you were talking about how you were at CSI and you had this opportunity to pick mm -hmm. up the language. But I want to know a little bit about how you decided as a kid growing up in Washington, D.C. to become an actor and, you know, uh, try to become um, immersed in this Hollywood culture. Um, the truth of the matter is I didn't. Um, I, I had curiosities about it when I was a, a little boy, but I, there was no obvious – there was no support from, you know – I mean, that was like uh, telling my parents I want to try to explore the entertainment business might have well been telling them like I wanted to, you know, um, launch into outer space or something. I don't know. It was just <laughs> such a foreign – Concept. So it got put that 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 never really got explored, or it never you know that seed never germinated. Um, but you know, I, I think um, really what happened was after college, um, uh, I really wanted to just kind of find ways to like uh, challenge myself and kind of scare myself into doing something I hadn't done before. And acting is just about as scary a thing as I could think to do Agreed. because it's not like I grew up with any background in it or, and it's, it seems like a, it seems like a pretty audacious thing to say, I think that you should watch me talk and walk. That's kind of what we do as actors. Like I, I kind of think that that's would be a good idea for you to watch me walk and talk. It seems really like, like a, uh, but because of the the inherent, like I guess I don't know. I, I think maybe I, I I was challenged with you know not finding my own identity when I was younger. I didn't feel like I had this built-in sense of 
you know, esteem, you know, for myself. So I would say one of the things about growing up in Virginia, I really learned to adapt really well in the mainstream culture, but I didn't really learn much about who I was. Mm. But I think slowly, I didn't realize at the time, but me taking on these challenges and then being able to recognize that I had built progress um, gave me some sense of, you know, fortitude and self-reliance that... Would it be somewhat of a stretch to say you grew into your identity as an Asian man? I think I still am, you know, I, I, cause I, the first thing that really catalyzed this was when I was in college, I was, um, you know, involved in student government and I, I was, um, I ran for student government vice president one year and I was just so terrified the whole time. Cause again, that's putting yourself out there and like, everyone's like, watch me publicly fail, which is kind of what I was doing. I was putting myself within this very public milieu and, and like you're on a college campus, like, you know, thousands of other, you're, you know, um, and, and I don't know. I think I, I just wanted to feel like I was challenging myself to grow. And I was always thinking then that, you know, if you don't try to spread your wings, you don't even know if you have them, you know? So I, 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 at one point when I went to college, I remember I tried to, <laughs> this is ridiculous to say now, but I remember trying to introduce myself to 10 people a day. I don't huh. know, just as a, like a, a way to kind of push myself out of my, my comfort zone. And I literally wow. would walk into circles of people and introduce myself, which is, I, I think I had like, like I said, I must've had esteem, esteem issues when I was younger. Um, so I, I was doing that. And after like the first year of college, I knew all these people. You know, and mm-hmm. then I realized, wow, I, I know a lot of people here. And um, and it kind of became more of a natural fit to say I'm going to, you know, because I was kind of a public person by then and in the university campus. And so but saying that I wanted to run as an elected official ar- um, amongst my colleagues was kind of a uh, kind of, again, an audacious thing to think, I think. So I but I did. And I was running really scared. Well, how did you transition? Or pivot to acting. I understand from a conversation we had earlier that there were certain members of your family who were kind of, uh, they had their doubts about whether you would make it in Hollywood, especially this is 20 years ago. And there wasn't uh, a lot of talk about inclusivity or diversity in casting. Yeah, I, I, I well, the reason I'm talking about the student government thing is because I think it was the bridge to me to ah. going into acting and saying, I did it before, you know, I did something uh, you know, as well, as I thought it was courageous then. And by that point, when I had gone to LA, I really went to LA not to act. I actually went to LA to get away from Virginia. Um, I hadn't, I I didn't even know Hollywood was in LA. Actually. I was just, so I really was not, I had a college degree. I, you know, you know, but let me tell you, it was really funny. I remember I told a friend that I'm going to move to LA, uh, after, uh, just because I wanted to start a new, it was about as far away from where I grew up as I could get. I just wanted to try something new. I was starting to feel like boxed in by this traditional, like sort of predetermined life. And um, because right after college for four months, I worked on, on Capitol Hill. And I remember doing the whole subway, like, you know, subway, subway rat tunnel thing. I felt like just like everybody else from nine to five, I would, you know, clock in, clock out and, and, I was like, this can't be my life. You know, I did it for four months, I think. 
And I was like, this is, I can't do this. This is, I'm, I'm going to look up one day and regret where, where did my youth go? Just spent in these subway tunnels, you know, riding back and forth between Northern Virginia and the Capitol. Not, not to disrespect anybody that chooses to do that. Of course, if they, if they, if they like to do that, I, I totally salute that. But I knew that clearly yeah. that wasn't what I wanted to do. It didn't feel like that was a fit for my natural appetite. Um, so I just went to L.A. without any plan at all. Like I said, I didn't even know Hollywood was there. But it's funny because I did tell a friend that I was going to L.A. And he goes, right, Archie, you're going to go out there and become an actor. And I go, what? Because <laughs> I didn't I literally sincerely did not know that that Hollywood was in L.A., you know. So seriously, the idea of becoming an actor did not even cross your mind as you were moving cross country. No, no. Not until I got to L.A. And then um, and then it was actually suggested to me because I remember uh, the reason I moved to L.A. is because I had an aunt and uncle that I could crash. Um, and they had a six my cousin, six year old kid who had bunk beds so I could crash on his top bunk. That's what I did. I, that's why I moved to L.A. because, uh, you know, it was a cost consideration. <laughs> um, but he was a very he, he's a very. Um, I think he's always wanted to I, be honest with you. I think he's always wanted to be an actor, um, but he, he did do the kind of the responsible thing and get a, you know, a, a traditional job, but he got one in sales and I could always see it with his personality that he was always very kind of, you know, spirited in that. This is and the so uncle. we were my uncle. Yeah. And we were mapping yeah. out, well, what jobs, where can I send my resume? Cause here I am a fresh college graduate with no plan. Am I going to go to graduate school? Am I going to work in pharmaceuticals like he did? Am I going to, you know, whatever. And then and he said all these things and he said, or you could move down to West LA, get a job waiting tables and be an actor. And I started laughing and then I was like, well, wait a second. <laughs> and then I thought about it. And the reason why I chose to pursue it is again, going back to what I said about scaring myself into personal growth. It wasn't that I had some inherent drive and desire to be an actor or thought that I had some you know, inherent ability to be a performer. It wasn't like that at all. I didn't grow up doing theater. I didn't, you know, grow up with a family that was already in the arts, anything like that. I literally thought this is a terrifying thing to do. And let's, let's do that. So let's see about it. <laughs> and at that point, when I'd moved to LA, I think I'd already fired my mouth off enough to everybody back home that I was going to try being an actor. Then now I had to try. Because I already had done, you know, enough talking about it. I was going to take a deeper dive into that. What kinds of roles would you be put up for? Because I you know 20 years ago, I mean, a lot of people of color, for instance, um, they might be sent out to play a gang member or a drug dealer or, you know, the trope about Asians. Oh, he's the brainy science researcher or the Kung Fu master. There were these stereotypical roles what kinds of roles would you be called for or um, what kinds of roles would you audition for? Well, I think, I think in those early days, like they would, I, I remember, I mean, I remember getting auditions for like Cambodian boat refugees and stuff like that. You know, like I, I you know, obviously I don't, I've never been to Cambodia. I didn't, you know, I, I was just as American as could be. I couldn't understand any of that, but I remember them just kind of lumping anybody that looked like they were Asian. I, they would just kind of lump us all together no matter what it seemed like nowadays. Um, thankfully, you know, those types of things 
the the material the source material I think that I'm seeing is is more nuanced and it's more even when I was doing CSI and and even Chicago PD which I basically kind of was you know I'm thankful for the for the jobs but I mean if you've ever watched the shows I'm basically playing the same character in both shows and it was those that character really is is meant to be and it's a procedural drama so I have to you know you know obviously recognize that that was the function of that character in the show but it's very transactional. Right. They weren't writing the, the really nuanced characters that they write are, are your leads, the romantic leads of pretty much any project. Right. Because that's what drives the engine of the story. Um, so much of what I was getting when I look back um, was the friend, you know, or something, you know, the or, you know, so, you know, you're 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 serving a function to the thing, but you're not driving the narrative. And so that was always my big hunger to be able to do that. But the market, the economics of the market weren't in such a way that they afforded us the opportunity to have content creators come in and, and do those sorts of things. Is that changing now? Oh, by, by, I see it. I see it changing by leaps and bounds. Yeah. I never thought I would see it in my career. I, I remember when I left Chicago PD, then, you know, my character gets killed at the end of the first season. And at that point, I had already done three movies in China, even though I didn't speak. I really didn't speak Mandarin, but they were still, you know, giving me and I'm playing like I am playing the lead, you know, the romantic leads. And so I thought, well, I guess China likes me. I'm going to go. I'm going to go over and see what's what's happening over here. And I remember I had this exit lunch with, you know, NBC Universal. And the guy says to me, you know, Archie, we want to be really clear. We would like keep you here at the NBC family and stuff like that. What would you like to do? You want to meet with some, right? I thought that was really, really generous of you to say, because I've waited a long time to sit in a fancy restaurant with a fancy guy like you and, and have these conversations. But I can't believe I'm saying this, but I got to go to Asia because I'm getting more opportunity there. And I'm playing these characters that I wanted to play. So I go over there. Um, and at the time, you know, I was engaged and I was like, going to set my life there, but I'm, and, and we got married and then I'm looking at my, the news that, you know, fresh off the boat, got greenlit, crazy rich Asians got greenlit. And I was like, Oh, it's true. What he said, there really is, you know, more, more stuff coming. And I, I could get more granular as to what my um, theory is as to why that happened, but I won't, I won't take this in that direction, but I, you know, I, but it's, 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 it's a thrill to see because in my career, in my life, I didn't think I'd ever see it. This happened. Um, but still at the end of the day, even if the, the market economics are in place to create an environment of this opportunity, um, story is good story is good story. And that is obviously, that's not going to change. We need, we need to have good content creators. You've alluded to the idea that economics is part of this equation that drives the change in tastes and the drive to maybe seek out, uh, broader content, a broader slate of content creators, people who may not have had their stories told before. And I'm talking not only about people of color, but LGBTQ folks, stories that haven't necessarily been covered by the mainstream. Do you think this is actually just, you know, some of it, some people scoff, well, it's just a moment in time. We've come out of a year where there's been a lot of talk and protests around racial equity. So this is arts organizations and studios and production houses saying, yeah, we want to tip our hat to that? Or do you see it as part of a more lasting long-term change, a, a real sea change in what we, we're going to see in terms of our entertainment 
choices? I think it's a confluence of events that's contributed to why we're here and why we're looking at, at, at the um, market environment that we're in. And if you look at, not to harp on this too much, but when I started my career, you know, um, Asian American men, in, men in particular, Asian Americans, but Asian American men in particular were worthless. You don't represent any foreign sales value whatsoever unless you're, you know, a martial artist or something like that. Or, you know, I mean, besides that, really, there there really wasn't any, the, the stars are the ones that drive the financing of the project. But there literally was no opportunity to become a star because they weren't creating products like that. So as China, China back then, I don't know what their box office was, but it was probably like number you know, 40 or 50 in the world or something. It was completely inconsequential. Um, and so as their GDP grew, they can't, you know, all the Western studios were clamoring to get into those theaters because in order to substantiate the, the, the budgets of these large movies, they need to have those theaters. Um, so that, the economics of that market region drew drove a lot of, the the fervor to kind of like co, you know co-produce co-finance a lot of these big ticket items um i'm not going to say that it it was necessarily spurring a creative creative trend but definitely um, spurned an economic uh intention and then with the advent uh, or not with the proliferation of k-pop and k-dramas that further uh pollinated that aesthetic in the main in the western mainstream culture so like I said, it's a number of different things that started to drive the engine of change. And what always happens is they take the fabric of the story and stretch it over the economic model. Right now, because the, you know, the Pacific Rim as a whole is more valuable, and not just that, but Southeast Asia as well, it cannot be ignored. Right. Right. There's, there's, that's why. And so it's given rise to the opportunity for content creators to go in there and create things in their likeness, because that's what content creators do. They usually create things in their likeness. Right. So, um, and that's why we're here. And, and with people with the, with the, you know, the Asian hate and that, that kind of stuff that's happened, obviously a lot of things in the world, it's, um, it's a complicated, uh, it's complicated how we got here, but at the same time, what I maintain is that is further evidence of the fact that um, Asians in America have really burst into the mainstream consciousness because there was always discrimination and prejudice. We just see it now. We're, we're you know, we have campaigns constructed around it. Now. Right. How many exactly. people suffered in silence? We're talking about it now. Right. It's interesting, the Sesame Street, which has been around for 52 years, this week or around Thanksgiving, just introduced their first Asian-American Muppet, uh, Korean-American. Oh, yeah? And, uh, you know, that's groundbreaking. <laughs> this show for children has sure. been around for half a century, and this is the first time they're acknowledging the representation of an Asian character in their show. What do you, I mean, what your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, again, it's, it's well, because it, it's the, the people that, you know, America's only a couple, a few hundred years old. Right. And so it was really uh, crafted by white Europeans. And so the major industries of the country were crafted, uh, you know, in their likeness. And if you, if you, so, you know, like they, Believe me, they're doing that in Asia. Their lead characters are crafted in their likeness, 
right? So that's that's kind of what again is it, the the macroeconomics of, of that engine are they originally did that, but then as the as the 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 pie is sliced into more pieces, then they they kind of share it, which is a thrill because just in a practical sense. I didn't grow up seeing people in my likeness in Sesame Street, you know. And so the the funny thing is, there's this TED talk. I forgot the name of it, but she's a writer. She's an African writer who's talking about she loves stories ever since she was a little girl. She loves stories, but she didn't realize into adulthood that when she was crafting her stories, the lead character was always you know blonde hair, blue eyed guy, and the girl was a you know fair skinned princess or something like that. And I understand that very much. Because you become indoctrinated so much into the system, you don't even realize that you're being discriminatory against yourself because you're being you're crafting things in the likeness that you've seen and grown up with. So it never actually even occurred to me, you know. So seeing a Sesame Street person is great. Now they can identify with something, you know. It's really empowering. And and speaking from the point of trying to create new content for new consumers for younger consumers who want to see more people who look like ourselves what's your what are your next projects what's on the slate for you well most recently um the this is funny this i was in asia i was in taiwan for much of last year um with coronavirus and everything it was like this little safe haven with a bunch of interesting with a lot of like taiwanese american diaspora that were over there the reason i i i, I got offered a project um, to play uh, a cowboy in this movie called Christmas at the Ranch. And I, I, I'm just delighted that, you know, the writer-director, uh, Kristen, has... So I asked her, I asked her why, because there's no mention, there's no reference at all as to why this guy is Asian. He just is. So I asked, and, and the woman that plays my grandmother is Lindsay Wagner. Um, as I grew up watching as a, you know, as the bionic yeah. woman, you know, and blonde yeah. hair, blue eyed, exactly. blonde hair, blue eyed woman. And, and there's a line in the movie where she says to me, you know, this ranch has been in our family for generations. <laughs> and I'm just kind of laughing to myself. I'm like, I don't know where your family was, but I, I think my family's probably in Chengdu or something. <laughs> the fact that Kristen was completely colorblind. So I asked her, did you grow up with an Asian best friend or something? Is this some sort of homage to that? She was no. Did you meet? Are there, have you ever met an Asian cowboy? She goes, no. And she just did. I just thought that was kind of cool. So that's why I came back from Asia for it. I was like, I want to participate um, in a project when content creators are actually creating characters. Just to be characters. Obviously, the assumption is adopted, you know, but it, it doesn't, you don't necessarily need to hit the nail on the head like that, you know, because um, it's right. still a, right. really the fundamentals of the story are still like I said, story. It's about family and about, you know, um, you know, acceptance and um, growth, you know, and challenges that, that you endure as a family. And those things we all get, you know, familial ties we all get. Right. Universal, those are universal right. values. Right, right, right. All right. I want to thank our guest, Archie Ko. Thank you, Archie, for coming on the show and sharing your experiences with us today. Oh, thanks so much, Sasha. I was uh, delighted to, to come on the show today and, and share some of this journey that I've been on. Um, and I really appreciate Asian Voices giving the opportunity to kind of help disseminate the narrative. To learn more about Archie KO, please visit our website, AsianVoicesRadio.com. 
And also, if you have any suggestions for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to subscribe as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Sasha Fu. Thanks so much for listening. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking edition of Asian Voices Radio. Until then, take care, everyone. 